I hope you can all hear us very well. I'm loud enough, but I, I think that Esme will yeah, give, give her best. Uh, thank you one, once again for joining us. I think we all know how much we like drinking coffee here in Dalmatia. So the main idea when we were thinking of this kind of event was that we can use this advantage of having drinking coffee together and joining each, with each other to talk, um, let's say, serious uh, topics such as innovation and patents. And I have a great pleasure to have Esme Swindles today with me. She is a British and European patent attorney and uh, she just started her remote year here in Split. And when I first met her, it was a month ago when she <laughs> arrived here in Split, I was thinking that she was a quite interesting career path. So uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that, Esme? Where are you from? What are you doing in Split? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm from England, as Ivana said. I studied at Durham University, which is at the north of the country. Beautiful city if you're over there. Um, I studied up to my master's level degree in chemistry. Um, I really enjoyed the science. I always have, ever since I was young, it was always my favorite subject, always what I excelled at school. But then during my master's year, I just found being in the lab wasn't for me. I just didn't really enjoy being at the fume hood every day. All of the reactions in my master's project were quite slow. I found characterization a bit annoying and a bit tedious. I just, I just wanted the results. Um, so I think basically I didn't have the patience for the lab. So I have utmost respect for everyone else who, who does. <laughs> um, so then I was trying to figure out during my master's, okay, so what do, I, what do I do? I really enjoy the science. What can I do whereby I still use my science, but I'm not the one in the lab? So then I came across patent law and the more and more research I did, the more and more people I spoke to who are in the profession, I just thought, this is great. I get to work with really interesting, new, innovative science every day, always on the cutting off edge of technology, but I'm not in the lab doing it myself. <laughs> so for me, it's a really nice mix of science and business and actually, obviously, law as well. Um, I really enjoy the way all of them go hand in hand. I really enjoy the commercialization of the technology and actually seeing it get to customers, get to patients, because um, I work a lot in pharmaceuticals and life sciences, and it's really nice seeing science making a difference and helping companies get to that stage where it can make a difference. Um, so what I'm doing in Split, my company very kindly agreed to allow me to do a remote year. Um, so I'm spending the next 12, well, 11 months now, because as Ivana said, I'm one month in, working remotely. Sadly, I actually leave Split on Saturday because what it is is I spend one month in 12 different cities um, all across the world. So on Saturday, I moved to Valencia in Spain. Um, and I guess if anyone is thinking about a career path change, that is one good thing about being a patent attorney. It's quite easily done remotely um, as COVID made very clear to all of us, actually. A lot of my job is done communicating with the scientists, writing things down, which a lot of that can be done over Teams, over video calls. Although the in-person meetings are a lot nicer, you do get to know the, the scientists um, a lot more personally, which I also really like that aspect of the job as well. <laughs> Thank you, quite interesting. I think that, I don't know if it's only in Croatia, but I have a feeling that there is a myth that uh, patent attorneys always have to be lawyers, but from your experience, and I don't know that, that other patent attorneys usually are not lawyers. So, yeah. Yeah, correct. It's actually the other way around. So you have to have a science degree to be a patent attorney. 
And that is because the day-to-day job, I'd say 75% of it, I am talking science, I'm writing science, I'm reading science, and I'm putting the science into the law. Um, so it's an awful lot easier to teach a scientist the law than it is to teach a lawyer the science. Um, so we qualify um, from university with our science degrees and then when we get our training positions at our patent firms or some people do train directly in-house, um, we then go through about four years of training um, where we sit loads of exams, we have to do courses, we work very closely with senior attorneys in the firms that we're at learning all of the law, learning how to apply the science into the law. So yeah, the science is key rather than the law actually for this profession. Okay, uh, so we are mentioning patents and I'm sure that some of, are, some of you are aware about the patents and the definition and everything else, but maybe for those of you who are not, can you briefly explain what a patent is and what is the advantage of having one granted? Yeah. So a patent is an intellectual property right. Um, that means it's registered and it is published. And so therefore it gives you rights to enforce against third parties. What it is not, is not actually the right to do the invention, which is a common misconception. It's actually the right to stop other people doing your invention. That's quite an important point to distinguish between because there can be, pos there can be times when You've got your patent protecting your innovation, but you can actually also be infringing an earlier filed patent application. So that's why what we mean by it's a negative right to stop people doing your thing rather than a guarantee that you can do your thing. Um, so again, to try and put this into practical terms, because that probably doesn't make sense just as it is. So for example, say inventor A creates some platform technology. It's a completely new field of technology and you claim, you can claim just generically that platform technology. Then inventor B comes along five years later and has been working in the area and found, actually, in this invention B, which is a subset of this generic platform technology, you can get a patent on that subset. So in this scenario, inventor B has got a patent to subset B, but they would also need the permission from inventor A to work within that generic area. Um, so this quite often happens in life sciences where somebody will discover, say, a, a new generic set of compounds, for example, that share a Marcuse formula, and then over time, as R&D happens, they'll find that actually these work really well if, say, there's a pyridine on the left-hand side or if there's a pyridine with a halogen on it and things like that. So that's how you get the, the constant rolling of innovation and you can get the streams of patents. Advantages to have patents, well, I'm a bit biased, but I would say there's loads. <laughs> For the obvious first reason that we've said, it protects your innovation, it can, allow third, it can allow you to stop third parties from performing your invention. Um, this is particularly important if you want to commercialise the technology, or perhaps you want to licence it out to somebody else, and it's obviously appealing to that third party for your licensing terms if you, know, you can stop somebody else competing with them. Um, I work a lot with startups and for startups it's also a really handy tool to go to investors when you're trying to raise capital and funding. Um, investors will always, always ask how are you going to stop competitors competing with you, what intellectual property rights do you have. So having your patent applications 
filed and pending and hopefully with a positive search report, because it does usually take about four to five years for a patent to grant, you can then say to your investors, look, this is how I'm going to stop third parties. I've got this patent, I've got it on the way to grant, etc. And that can really help with funding rounds as well. Um. <laughs> Thank you. So patents are obviously about the inventions and advancement in technology. So how uh, one can find about the new technologies, about the patent application, patent documentation that are relevant? Yeah, so there are tools that you can use. Um, so you've created some new technology and you want to know whether it might be patentable. So the EPO, the European Patent Office, has a really good search engine called Espacet. Um, which I can send a link to Ivana for her to share if that's helpful at all. Um, and it has a really good search engine which you can split out between you know, applicants. So for example, say you've developed a technology and you're very aware of who your competitors are and they've developed a similar technology, you can look up um, patents that they filed specifically to see if how similar your innovation might be to theirs. Um, and you can search by subject matter, so you can put in, I don't know, say you're you've developed a new drug for a particular disease, um, you could put in those diseases and types of drugs into the search engine and that will give you, um, it will come up with a list of patents that are related. So that's a really good, really cheap, really easy way of doing a bit of digging yourself first once you've developed a technology to see if it looks like someone else has done the same thing. Obviously Google as well is pretty helpful. Um, and then what you can also do if you want to put some money towards it, you can actually ask, we, and we do this on behalf of our clients quite a lot, you have external professional searchers where it is their job to search and they are very good. The searcher we use, they have access to so many databases, they know the exact terms and things like that to search. Um, and usually with the search provider that we use, we can get a search, a novelty only search for 600 pounds which is about 7,000 kunas, I think, just short of 7,000 kunas, um, which isn't too much and could save you a lot of time. So that's also an option for people if you want to check what the status is in terms of novelty before filing a patent application. The other option of what we sometimes do is we'll simply draft and file the patent application and then you have what's called a priority year, um, which gives you a bit more time to, to develop your technology at which point, at the end of that year, you can file another application to top up anything that you've done in that year. But what you can do on the very first application is request a search. Um, and in the UK, that's only 100, uh, well, £210 because then you have to pay the application fee, um, which again is quite a cheap way of seeing what else is out there and having the UK IPO search it for you. I'm not going to lie, I don't know what the Croatian Patent Office equivalent is. Um, but I imagine it would be quite cheap as well. National countries tend to be. Yeah, not. It could be. Yeah, it depends. It depends. Yeah. So, yeah, there are a few different ways to kind of assess the prior art and see what might be out there and if your technology might be patentable. But I think that also here it's important to stress out that patent documents and patent databases are not only the source of information if you are applying for a patent or if you know if you want to know if what if your technology is new but also if you are a scientist if you are looking for inspiration for a new field of research and things like that you 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 don't have to always search just the 
scientific literature and scientific databases, but also patent databases. And usually they have much more precise um, all, all the documentation and all the methodology and things like that then you can find in the in the scientific journal yeah yeah, yeah quite often we when we um, are submitting patent applications and we get the search reports back quite often we'll find there is a publication linked to the patent and the publication as you say does give more detail and it's a bit more succinct and a bit easier to read than the patent sometimes patents can get a bit overwhelming with all the, the legal stuff that's in there so yeah, it's definitely important to consider both. Yeah. And when it comes to the specificity, let's say, of the patent and uh, your profession, I know that EPO has, I think, at around 4,000 4, patent examiners and that this being specific and very experienced in the field is important not only for the patent attorneys, but also for the patent examiners, even maybe more important for the patent examiners. And I'm just wondering um, why this, why being specific in the field is important and also in which way that brings added value to your clients. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a really interesting question actually because I'd say for patent examiners, yeah, they're really, really specific um, and they actually have little numbers where they are grouped very, very specifically within. So if you put, submit a patent application, it won't just go to a biotech person or a digital person or a pharmaceutical person. They even get subcategorized within those to very specific, you know, this person's a vaccine person or other things like really narrow. Um, and I think that's, you know, really helpful because then when you, when you submit in your patent application, you know it's going to go to someone who understands the science, who actually can really examine it in detail. Because um, I'd say the examiners have almost a little bit of a harder job because they don't have as much time to look at the applications and they can't speak to the scientists. Whereas myself as a patent attorney, I can ask the scientists loads of questions. I can, you know, ask them to explain it in a different way if perhaps the first time I haven't quite understood it. Um, whereas examiners, they just get the application, they read it and that's it. They have to deal with it. So they tend to be really specific, but it's, yeah, it's good because then you know your examination, your application is getting examined properly. Um, whereas for us as patent attorneys, I'd say we are a bit broader. So my degree is in chemistry, predominantly in organic and inorganic chemistry um, and pharmaceuticals. But then over my eight years of being a patent attorney, I've had so much on my desk that actually, and obviously it's all still within you know, chemistry, biochemistry, I have realmed into biotech as well. I have done some vaccinology, immunology. I've done some courses to help me learn a bit more about those fundamentals. But I'd say as a patent attorney, you need to be a little bit more adaptable and you need to be quick at learning and understanding the concepts that your client, the scientist, is teaching you and telling you about. Um, you need to be willing to learn about it as well. Of course, if you just sit there and don't ask any questions, you're probably not gonna get the full understanding. Um, so yeah, I'd say for a patent attorney, the adaptability to be able to know you have the core fundamentals of, for me, chemistry, and then building on building onto that everything else that can be even slightly linked back to it, um, is actually really important. Okay, <laughs> and um, how often do you have to cooperate with the other colleagues, with the colleagues from the other fields? And how the process usually looks like, I don't know, from the first contact with the client 
to do, I don't know, maybe patent application or even beyond? Yeah. Um, also a really interesting question. These days, so much technology is converging and so much so many areas are overlapping and in life sciences, like I say, that's predominantly what I work in, the crossover between digital and pharmaceutical is huge these days. Um, so I've got several clients now that are using artificial intelligence, they've got this whole software side to them to help support the therapeutic regimens that they are trying to implement and trying to get regulated. Um, so yeah, absolutely, I, I can't do the digital side myself that digital software electronic stuff goes right over my head um, so we have actually set up a bit of a, a sector group in our firm in London whereby we have a mixture of engineers software attorneys along with people like myself who have chemistry biotech degrees and we work on these clients together to make sure all aspects are covered um, particularly in life sciences and medical treatments it's really there's a lot of laws that you need to be careful to make sure you capture everything because for example in Europe you can't patent a method of treatment you have to patent manufacturing of the product for a medical use um, the theory behind this is so that doctors don't get sued for just you know giving someone a me method of treatment it's the manufacturers that are liable however in the US you can patent the method of treatment and then likewise in software you can't patent software per se in Europe, but if it has some kind of technical effect, then there are ways around it that you can draft a claim that encompasses the technical effect along with the software. And that's where the software engineering attorneys are really incredibly helpful to me because I can help teach them the, the medical side of it, how this software is helping with the treatment and then how that impacts on the patient. Yeah, correct. Business methods you also can't patent in Europe, but you can in the US. Yeah, exactly. Actually, when I'm filing patent applications, I keep my title vague and I'll literally just say something like treatment or compounds. The reason for that is because the title publishes straight away as soon as you file, whereas the application doesn't publish until 18 months later. So if I said, if I named the title literally what the invention is, say, drug X for treating disease Y, you've just given the game away in the title, so you don't want that publishing straight away. Um, so yeah, looping back round, so actually when there's a lot more convergence in technology these days, we also converge our attorneys and make sure that all angles are getting covered, making sure that every layer possible is indeed built upon. Um, and then the process. So typically most of my clients come through referrals, or through events like these. I also um, have connections in the UK with various startup accelerators, um, companies um, that help connect startups to professionals like myself. And I've, I've done other talks like this before. Um, so typically I'll get introduced to that person. They'll say, oh, we've got some technology or we just set up a startup. Can we talk to you about IP? So then I'll have an initial chat with them usually about 30 minutes, see where they're up to, see what the technology is about, kind of basically assess, as Ivana alluded to, what field of technology they're in. If it's something electronics-y, mechanical engineering, that's not my ballpark, so I'll refer them to one of my colleagues who do have that background. If they're chemistry, biotech, that kind of field, then I'll say, great, yep, yeah, this is up my street. Um, 
from the sounds of your this 30 minute conversation, it looks like you're ready to really start getting a plan into action. So then we'll arrange a follow-up meeting, which usually takes two to three hours to actually really delve into all of the details, all of the details of the science, how it works, the data that they've got, and then also the business side, the business plan, the milestones they're aiming to hit, um, whether they're going to be on an investing round, all of those kind of business aspects as well, because they influence the IP strategy. And I know you've got a question on that later, so I won't, I won't dive too much, too much onto that. Um, but yeah, that's usually the next stage. After this two or three hour meeting, usually I'll produce a report giving a plan um, of what to do next in terms of the IP and how it will fit in with the business strategy. I'd say maybe about six out of 10 of these meetings, they need a patent application pretty much straight away. So then we go on to draft the patent application and we've gone into the detail of the science in enough meeting and enough detail in that meeting that we can start immediately. Um, and then usually at that stage, there's toing and froing between myself as the attorney and the inventor slash client as to the forms of the claims, everything, making sure it's perfect and then building the rest of the application on top of that. And then we file and usually that takes about a month to draft the application. We can do it quicker if there's an urgent reason. Sometimes it takes longer just because life happens. <laughs> and what would you say, what is the best time to contact Patent Authority? Right at the start. <laughs> it's never too soon to speak to an IP attorney. I'd say as soon as you have that first idea, speak to your patent attorney. It may be too soon to take actual physical action, such as drafting a patent application but you want to make sure that they're in the loop and even running past them, things that you want to talk about or disclose to third parties, it's nice to have that sounding wall of checking what you shouldn't say um, because even if an inventor discloses something, even orally, that counts as a disclosure, a prior art disclosure that could be prejudicial to when and if you eventually file a patent application. So in those early stages, your disclosures and conversations are really important to be careful about, um, which is always difficult when startups are trying to get investment from investors or VCs or family friends or wherever it is you're trying to get the funds from. Um, and in those instances, yes, it might be too early to have your patent application filed. Um, so I'd suggest always having those conversations under NDA um, just to make sure that there is that confidentiality there as well, because then those disclosures won't count against any subsequent patent application. Um, but yeah, and even at the start, once you say filed your patent application, don't forget about your patent attorney. So um, I usually have regular contacts with all my clients, even if there isn't an IP action. If you know, every few months I'll drop them a message saying, right, let's just have a quick catch up call. What are your commercial updates? Um, because sometimes the client might not have realized that some kind of commercial update will actually trigger an IP action. Um, and every one of my meetings I have with my clients, the first thing I say is, okay, before we delve into the IP or the data, what's the latest on the commercial side? What have you been up to? What have your meetings you've had? Where are you heading in the next couple of months? It's really, really important. Yeah. And that, yeah. I'm just kind of stepping on the toes of a later yeah. question. I think that leads us to the next question. Yeah. 
I think it's quite important and relevant for both scientists and also the, the companies. What comes first? Is it patent or is it business? Well, I'd say neither. I'd say the idea. Yeah. And then once you've got the idea, I'd say business and patents just go hand in hand. Um, you can't consider the business without thinking about your IP strategy, but also your IP strategy should not be dictating your business plan. Um, and you always need to think about these together. And actually, I've got a really good mind map that I can send you and share with everyone that really clearly shows how IP influences so many arms of the business and it's things that you do need to, need to think about and consider. Um, I had a client a couple of months ago that they, were, they basically ran into some problems and then they were trying to think about what they could do differently. And they were basically try, they were considering changing their business model just because of, to try and make IP work and we said to them, no, don't do that. You can't, the IP shouldn't be the thing that you change your business model for. It should be the IP that supports the business model. Because um, basically they had really good data for something, but not a great IP position. Well, like, well, you can't just magically change your data. We need to make the IP fit as best that we can. We found a way around it. We've managed to find them other ang angles using that data that they can actually protect. And so therefore the position now actually is not so bad. Um, and then other examples to think about as well, particularly again, thinking specifically to startups and thinking about the journey that startups take. Um, things like if you're going for an investment round, you can do things that will help your patent portfolio look better when you're going for those um, investment rounds. So for example, say you, I don't know, say your ideal marketplace where you want to launch is in the US. You can take actions to speed up the prosecution in the US and get a granted patent there really early. You could have a granted patent in the US in about a year if you use the accelerated prosecution steps versus five years if you just let it trundle along at the usual pace. If you're going to investors and saying, look, this is what we want to do, we want to launch here, having that patent granted in the US is going to be a really useful tool to then say, look, we want to launch here. The patent's granted. It's not even just pending. Please help us fund this. Um, similarly, another good example is disclosures. Um, and I know publications versus patents is, an, is a common debate among academics and particularly spin-outs from universities. Um, obviously, you know when your publications are going to be put into a journal. So you need to make sure you think about those, think about when that publication is going to take place and make sure a patent application is filed beforehand. Um, so it's making sure that all of these various arms all come together and you're thinking about both the business commercial side as well as the IP side and making sure they all link together. Funding's a really interesting one as well. Um, patent attorneys can give you quite good estimates really of based on how many patent applications, your budgets that you'll need over the course of three to five years, to be honest, they can give you quite good estimates. Um, so always ask your patent attorneys about those as well and make sure you have those factored into your funding and budget projections for the next few years to make sure you have that covered. Um, you don't want to be in the position where you need the funding but you don't have it and you ultimately have to let your patent lapse or something like that, or you might not be able to file in as many countries as you perhaps want to, um, so make sure your thought planning and funding is also really helpful.
<laughs> you have already mentioned some some interesting cases, but if you have to choose or pick one, I don't know, more in, most interesting or the worst case from your career, what would be? Ooh, it's tough. I'm going to say two very quickly, just because they're two different technologies. Um, one is probably my biggest client, um, and they are maybe seven years old or so now. Um, they're a life science company. Um, they're a convergent technology company, so they're really cool. What they do is they've built this AI tool that has helped them with drug discovery, and they focus on known drugs, but for new uses, specializing in um, orphan designation diseases. Um, so what they do is they use this algorithm tool to scour through loads of drugs and databases. They put in all of the different I don't even know, to be honest, everything that they put into the AI tool. Um, this is something that we've kept as a trade secret. Um, and then out of that, it gives them a list of recommended drugs that might be good in the particular disease that they're looking for. Then they'll go to some, do some in vitro data on those drugs and then some in vivo data. Once they've got the in vitro data, we'll file a patent application for specifically that drug for that disease. And then when they get to the in vivo, if that's positive, will file, as I kind of alluded to earlier, the top of application the year later with the additional data. If the in vivo was bad, then we just abandon the application. Um, and so they're really cool, really interesting. They started, yeah, I say about seven years ago and they've grown so much, um, which I just, I really love to see. And especially because it's so nice that they're working on rare diseases, which, you know, their, their tagline is something like, um, even rare disease patients deserve treatment because a lot of these rare diseases that they're working on don't have any kind of treatment. So I just think it's really nice that they're trying to help yeah. a lot of minority patients. Um, so they started off with fragile X syndrome, form of autism, and they have just gone into clinical phase two trials. They're just recruiting patients for that trial now. And they now also have, I think in total, six or seven different diseases that they're now targeting. So they've grown so much, which is just really, really nice. Um, and then another really cool client is not life sciences. Um, and they use seaweed for making biodegradable packaging to replace single use plastics. Um, now the technology of this particular seaweed material, um, the alginification uh, with the calcium carbonate is really, really well known but the application of using it for packaging is completely new. And that's where all of their patents that I filed for them lie. Um, so I kind of wanted to highlight this one because a lot, of, a lot of scientists and inventors tend to underestimate the value of their innovation and often think, oh no, it's known technology. It's, it's not interesting, it's not inventive. It's just, you know, it's known. But actually known technology for a new use is very much considered patentable um, under patent laws. Um, so that's why I kind of wanted to highlight that one as a really interesting example that just because you're using a known technology doesn't mean what you're doing with it isn't patentable. Nine times out of 10, it probably is. Um, so don't be, don't be put off patents by something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely worth of mentioning. Yeah. And I think by now we are coming to the end at least. <laughs> I have one 
let's say, a little bit different question uh, for the end. So if you have to put your message on the billboard, what would it be? Oh gosh, it needs to be short and snappy if it's going on a billboard. Yeah. Um, maybe something like IP, think about from the outset, something like that. Um, consider from the start. Okay. Yeah. I think it's a good one. It's a good one, especially if, you're, if I'm thinking about our ecosystem and our experiences with the patents and yeah. the things are, that are happening at, at our university, not only for, with the scientists, but also with the companies, usually companies just thinking about how to sell their technology, how to get the investors. And on the other side, the scientists thinking how to publish their paper as soon as possible. And for both of you, uh, patenting can be just the first case and then if you are scientists you can still publish a paper afterwards and if you are uh, SME this only can help you to have like a stronger case and to have like like much bigger uh, value of your company so yeah thank you ask me very much for uh, for joining us it was I think it was quite interesting and you you learn our participants a lot and now the floor is yours you if you want you can ask uh, any question you want, we can stay also later on if you want to ask ask me something individually. So yeah. Okay, just make a clap first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't expect it would be this loud. I, I expected it, it would be a little less loud, but I hope you all managed to hear her well. Anyway, we we will have time after this, let's say, official part. So if you want, you can stay, you can ask ask me or ask questions and yeah for the other time for the other event we still don't have a speaker but we will definitely think of a little bit quieter location <laughs> maybe the the cafe at the at the university library i think it's a little bit quieter there but yes thank you all for coming i hope you enjoy i hope you have learned a lot and when it comes to the patents and everything related to innovation, you have always a technology transfer office here at our university. You can come to us, ask us different questions. We can uh, help you. If we can't help you, if we don't know how to help you, we can um, point you out to the right person. So, yeah, we are here. Okay, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay, now we are starting officially the more relaxed part, yeah. <laughs>